Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Michael and Channing Show. He is he is excited today, people. Ain't no COVID keeping me down. <laughs> there, there, it is not. I, I, I will say uh, the traffic. Yeah, the that office, was crazy. The traffic to the office uh-huh. this morning uh, was pretty light. Like ghost town. Feels yeah. like nobody's out. Yeah, well, it, today in music history, nobody's on Music Row. That's it. We'll have a different music history here in a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, it was. A, yeah, easy. I'm glad you made it in. Hey, I'm glad to be here. And and on a, on a not serious but yes serious note, uh, man, our hearts and prayers are with everybody yep. out there who's uh, who's uh, wrestling down this kind of uh, unprecedented uh, kind of scenario we all find ourselves in. But I also couldn't help but think to myself, there's no better time to be listening right. to podcasts. That's right. It's if like, you haven't listened to any of these yet, you've got you got some time. You can go back to episode one. And listen all the way through, uh, and catch up if you if you haven't already if, listened. If you got some time on your hands, yeah. let us let us bless you a little bit this week uh, with uh, all things songwriting and, and industry and some fun stuff like that. You'll be uh, blessed. You'll, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're always blessing everybody mm-hmm. around here. That's um, it. I'm super excited about today's episode because we get to hang out with my uh, longtime friend Brent Baxter. Yeah. And Brent, Brent Baxter was actually going to be in the studio with us this morning. And then uh, because of this crazy uh, uh, virus, he is actually going to be joining us uh, from his abode in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we actually, we have him on the line now. Mr. Brent Baxter, That's thanks right. for joining Brent. us. Yeah. Hey, good to be here. He's I was gonna- hoping to be there in person, but uh, as we were talking about, I when I split time between you know Nashville and and Missouri, I stay with my folks in Nashville, and I don't want to kill them by bringing, <laughs> dragging something home from the road, which is always a danger that you're going to drag something home from the road just on a normal day. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> you know, you're that's in a writer's good. room. There's no telling what's happened in there. So yes. just on a normal day, that's scary. But I'm really not going to risk my parents right now. That's a good sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. For well, sure. we're glad to have you in from the top of this episode. Uh, most of our episodes have been, you know, uh, us, us bantering away and then, mm-hmm. Uh, jumping into interviews uh, later or earlier or whatever, but you're in from the top. So thanks for joining us, dude. Uh, we do have yeah. our we do have our stuff to jump into. Uh, we do real quick though, yeah. if you haven't already, uh, we we'd love for you to hit that subscribe button so you can stay uh, connected with us. Give us. Uh, we've been saying we would appreciate some stars. Five would be perfect. <laughs> that's um, a good number. <laughs> that's our favorite. Uh, hit those wherever you're listening today. We've got some social media platforms that you can. Uh, stay connected with us on Instagram. We've got Facebook. Uh, we've got a Facebook group uh, where we have had some engagement with you through some polls, and I'm excited uh, to unveil. <laughs> you got some results fr- from our <laughs> ooh, ooh, have you heard Smackdown this last uh-huh. week? It was uh, it was great. It was weird as all get it out. It was. We we turned the ooh, ooh Brent. We turned the ooh, ooh have you heard into an actual Smackdown with a poll on our Facebook group, so people get to go vote. Nice. But it just so happened the the last week when I introduced uh-huh. it, we had a worship song up against <laughs> the Young Pups. He brought Steve Martin. The crow and then a, and then a guest a guest brought in a worship guy and i'm like do you lose your salvation if you don't vote for the worship song it just i think it on. was almost viral like this smackdown like people everywhere i'm just kidding uh no but we yeah, have those viral <laughs> mostly viral <laughs> We, right. we have those uh, that you can stay connected with us, and we also uh, have a fan favorite 
like I say every week, our Ooh Ooh Have You Heard playlist on Spotify where you can keep up with all of our favorites and it's growing more and more eclectic, uh, <laughs> and that's why we love it. So yeah. jump on over there. Oh yeah, well Brent was the one who gave us the. Uh, we, yeah, we, we shouted out to him. Thanks, the, Brent. Yeah, the, the, you're welcome. The Spotify playlist was his idea. Yeah, so, yeah, it's awesome. Very so we got some. Uh, we got a couple different ways that you can uh, stay connected with the Michael and Channing show. So take advantage of those. But Michael, let's jump right into our new fan favorite. <laughs> I love it that everything's a fan favorite. <laughs> Everything. Look, I'm I'm hoping that if I say it enough, that it will just become people will be like, oh, it's my fan favorite. <laughs> Today in music history, yeah, Brent, you probably already know this, but I actually did know this one. But fascinating uh, fact: uh, one of my all-time favorite songs, "Setting on the Dock of the Bay." Mm-hmm. was released today in 1968. Otis Redding, the only song ever released posthumously. I can't hardly say that word. You nailed it. <laughs> we worked on it. <laughs> Otis Redding recorded that song, was killed three days later in a plane crash. And when they released the song, uh, it was, it was as I said, it was the first after, after death uh, <laughs> number one single in U.S. chart history, sold over four million copies worldwide. Mm. It's wow. just an in- interesting factoid there. What an incredible <laughs> song, too, though. Love Otis Redding. Written by Dr. Steve Cropper, I believe. Okay, Steve Cropper, the writer. Yeah. There Steve we go. Steve Cropper, who, he was in the Blues Brothers movie, Guitar Legend. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to bring... Brent on more. Oh, he's our like. Oh, he he's got history. Music history. He's got history. Just a little bit. Just yeah. yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> this day I've been to run into Steve a couple times, so it's That's like cool. I, I studied. So I wouldn't look like an idiot. I could appreciate it more. So, <laughs> so there y'all have it. 1968. Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay. He was no longer with us. <laughs> We're very grateful <laughs> for that song, though. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Great. All right. Well, now that well, you, you can imagine been, though, as a writer. You know, like, oh my gosh, Otis Redding cut my song. Can you imagine what Steve's thinking? Like, they just heard the mix. It's amazing. Hey, guys. Oh. Dang it. <laughs> you know? Oh, that would stink. But this one actually had a happy ending. It did. I mean, not it, for Otis. Not for Otis. But, not for but Otis. For Steve, I guess. For the rest of us, though, who've hummed that for song about 10,000 times. That's all. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, now that you have been properly informed uh, on this day in music history. I dare you not to be humming that song in your head right now. It's it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's move on to our fan favorite. Ooh, ooh. Oh, have you yeah. heard? Oh, yeah. This, uh, this segment, if you are joining us for the first time, uh, Michael and I, it's become somewhat of a, um, we're referring to it now as a smackdown. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we, we go in, find uh, somebody that we are listening to uh, this week or this month that we really are digging at that at this time. And, and then we try to stump each other with basically our selection. Try to outdo each other. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. It, it came out of uh, just literally walking in. I think that's how the name of the segment actually it's yes, like it literally you're like ooh, ooh, have you heard yes, yes. <laughs> it's, the most, it's the most authentic naming of a segment ever so uh we're excited too brent i think you have one do, do you, you have one do you have an ooh, ooh have you heard if you don't it's no big deal no I didn't but know. i got 
I got a new guitar vocal in, so that's what I've been spinning a lot this morning. So you, oh, you probably haven't heard it though. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. we so, went to hear ooh, it. Ooh, have you heard? I have a new guitar <laughs> vocal in. I'm so excited. I love it. I love it. Got my buddy Matt Dame singing on it. Sounds great. Fantastic. <laughs> a demo coming yeah. soon to you. Oh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> exactly. But because Brent is with us, we did this without knowing that today added to the ooh, ooh have you. I heard playlist is some country. Yeah, we both walked in with country. And again, this is never pre-planned nope. between us. So you went first last week? Yeah, you we go, go this first. first? Okay. Yeah. So my ooh-ooh, have you heard? It is country, mm-hmm. and I cannot stop listening to mm-hmm. it. The new Little Big Town album. So good. Mm. Nightfall. So good. Okay, so I like country music. I write a lot of country music, but... But agreed probably by all of us that country music, you know, it, it can be fraught with songs we wish weren't written sometimes mm. that we have to hear a lot of. <laughs> That's a problem unless you happen to be a writer on it, then you just love that. But um, mm-hmm. this Nightfall album, to me, I, I've always I've always had, you know, I've always liked Little Big Town for sure. But this uh-huh. album in particular, it's like a singer-songwriter album. As I understand it, they actually produced this one on their own. Uh, I mean, they had a couple of guys co-produced it, I guess, basically. So I think it's truly the band, the you know, your your carriers of all that stuff. Love it. They had major influence in this one, and it comes off to me from the top to the bottom as a true like singer songwriters mm. album. I don't know how it will do for them commercially, but I know that for all the singer songwriter brains that uh, oh, I love it. Oh my lord! Okay, one mm. song in particular. There's a song. Well, there's numerous songs on this album uh-huh. I love. There's a song called "The Daughters." Mm-hmm. Just trust mm-hmm. me if you've got daughters. You're going to want to listen to the song, or if you're just a woman in general, the way that you know the craft of songwriting is, is you know finding that twist. You know yeah. that you didn't see coming, and the song, the daughters, wow, it's mm-hmm. incredible. But the song that just makes me smile. Sometimes songs don't have to be super deep, to, or you know they don't have to carry a lot other than just beautiful language and melody, and they do that superbly with a song called Bluebird. Mm-hmm. I do. And shout out to uh, Elisa Turner was the one oh, that, yeah. that bumped that yep. on the road. And it's so good. It got me started listening yeah, to that. Yeah. So and little, thank, you, thank you, Elisa Turner. Little thing, too. I, I When we first moved to Nashville, I felt like we had to start listening to country music. That was like 15 years ago. Like, it felt like that was just what you had to do if you were going to live in the state of Tennessee. And uh, so I did for a while, and then I kind of fell off of the country. This is legitimately the first full-length country album that I have listened to. That's a good way to put it, because I can't stop listening from top Seriously. to bottom. So it's great. So, so y'all check that out. So uh, what you got for me? Okay. I, my ooh-ooh, have you heard this week, is a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Tyler Flowers. Mm. I know you know Tyler. I love Tyler. Tyler is an awesome dude. And Tyler uh, played a lot for Sarah Darling uh, for a long time and then has just released uh, a single called Sidekick. And the first time that I heard this, he was doing a singer-songwriter night at the Well Coffeehouse, and he did this song. This is another one of those, just a fun, fun song. 
Uh, and, and so I want you to take a listen. He, he always seems to be happy. Too. Oh, he's so much fun. If you're not always happy, Tyler, just uh, keep pretending you are. Oh, it makes all the rest of us so great. Awesome. All right, here you go. Here's Psychic. Here we go. Double, I love it. It's like so it, like good. it, like it, like it. And uh, if you if you know Tyler, you know it's just one of those things that he's such a great hang to be with. A yep. great writer. Yep. Uh, he's a, a worship leader at Crosspoint here yeah. in Nashville. Yep. Been helping out there. Uh, great guy. Uh, excited for him and and kind of even the the start of more music coming out from from him. Uh, so check him out. Tyler Flowers, sidekick. Sweet. That's a Love good it. one. Ooh, have good you one. heard? And, and we'll have the SmackDown. Can I give the results? Oh, yes, please give the results of the okay. last SmackDown because it was the most odd SmackDown ever. We did have uh, a SmackDown between Steve Martin. The Crow. And Dave Pettigrew. The worship leader. And mostly viral. <laughs> as Sprint put it. <laughs> the SmackDown, the winner <laughs> was four votes. <laughs> To four votes, <laughs> and really? me, me and Matt voted for our. <laughs> so it was really, it was almost viral. It almost it, hit. A <laughs> riveting, riveting results. A total of uh, eight, eight whopping votes. All but right, people. Each there one. Is, there is a poll over on the Facebook page. <laughs> We're going to need you to go punch buttons because I'm not saying there was eight votes anymore. Yeah, Look, and this will be easy because it's in the same genre, country. Uh, um, just go vote. Yes, go vote. Do it. That's awesome. All right. So, out did, of ooh, did anybody ooh. ever let Dave Pettigrew know that we were going? <laughs> Matt probably did. We, we should probably tag him yeah. and let him know. I'm not sure Steve Martin cares, but whatever. No, but <laughs> that's what's great about this podcast. Oh yes. All right. We have a burning question. I think we do have up. a burning question. Another fan favorite. Um, Somebody asked me the other day. Do you know what he's going to ask? Like before and i'm like no i nope. literally asked as we were hitting record a while ago it's mm -hmm. like what's the question so this is great for those of you listening in uh every week we uh ask michael our burning question uh and we're excited brent is here also mm -hmm. to kind of uh add mm -hmm. on team. to this question but this is a, a great question for the indie writer uh how do you find a good critique of a song if you're not under a publisher oh that is a good question. That's a great question. Brent, go ahead. Uh, first of all, I, I think a couple things you need to think about is your goals, your goal for the song, right? So if you want to write commercial country, like I want to get a country cut, have a top 10, big old, huge Luke Bryan or Garth Brooks hit, then that's going to take you to a certain group of people and down one path versus, hey, I'm a singer songwriter. I want to write for me and I'm not really concerned about the radio that may lead you down a different path. So I, I do a lot of song critiques and feedback. And that's the first thing I ask is like, okay, what's your goal for this song? Because people have different goals and I want to listen with the right set of ears. So first of all, consider your goals and what you're looking for out of that. That's good. Next, find somebody, you know, who's legit, who's done some stuff or who has some credibility. You know, have they been a not, publisher? Or not, your a publisher now? not your mother. Not your mother. Not your mother. Your mother's... <laughs> Great at so many things. <laughs> so good at so many things. But I wouldn't, you know, 
Yeah, I'll, I probably wouldn't trust her <laughs> no, to uh, no. give a, a song critique. So you want to find somebody that has some legit credibility, you know, whether they're a pro writer, publisher, somebody in the business, that sort of thing. And there are, I mean, that's exploding. There's so many of those. I do that. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know, Mike, if you do that through King yeah, of yeah, yeah, and yeah. through other no, venues like that. Hey, seriously, we didn't know the question. So there's, I mean, I love, I love sales pitching stuff. That's legit. Yeah. Tell them how to figure that out with you. And I, I do that with song assist on the kingdomsongs.org website, but mine's mm-hmm. geared a lot towards worship. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if you got, if you got some worship or CCM stuff that you've got that you want a real true critique feedback on, you can send that to song assist. But if it's outside of that, Brent, you might be the great resource for that. So how do well, they find you? you? So, yeah, we didn't set this up, but I run a website called songwritingpro.com. And so through that, we do coaching, song feedback. Um, And so I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a country hammer. So, you know, I'm pretty good at country nails and I'm a lyricist by trade. So (laughs) I focus more on that. I can give you some general feedback on, on melody, but I'm not going to dive deep into like chord structures and, you know, that kind of stuff. But lyrically, I can give you a good feedback on that on country. Yeah, if it's worship, that's not my wheelhouse as much, even though I've written it. Yeah. And I've written, you know, some other stuff that I'm probably not the guy as much for that. But we also have some other pro coaches through songwritingpro.com, folks like Jen Schott, who are melodic and lyrical and, you know, bring a female perspective and just a great writer perspective. Yeah. And so you look at people's bios and go, okay, have they done anything? Are they just throwing up a a shingle because they want to make a few bucks off songwriters? Do they actually have something to offer in the world that I want to? I want to be yeah. in. Can I, can I, just cause I'm a songwriter. You don't want to ask me to critique your reggae song because Correct. that's not my wheelhouse. Right? Oh man. <laughs> I'm, I'm right up there with your mom as far as critiquing your reggae. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to, I don't want to wax negative here, but I will say this there, bro. We've, you said this thing has exploded with the, mm-hmm. the seeming pros to that want to give critiques or mentor and all of that. And I'll be honest, and this has been a very happy podcast for all five episodes previous and I'll keep it that way, but I will say it has frustrated me a lot over the last few years, the amount of shingles, as you would say, that have flown mm-hmm. out with going, Hey, we can help you become a pro songwriter. We've cracked the code of being a song. And I'm like, well, gosh, I'm going to sign up too, because <laughs> if you've got it figured out, if you got it that dialed in, I'll pay you the money or whatever. And the truth <laughs> is it's so subjective. Objective. And, and mm-hmm. I, I love what you're saying, Brandon, of just, you know, the, the question was, how do we get good critique? Well, do a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. And, and what you just mm-hmm. said, look at their bios. If there's a website that says we're going to critique your song, well, maybe you actually want to dig around and see what said person has actually written. You know yeah. what, what their credentials truly are. There are a lot of there are a lot of things you can do now. I mean, you literally just Google song critiques or whatever. You're going to find stuff. Just mm-hmm. do your research and be careful where you spend your money because it has it's becoming more of a shark tank than I ever. Man, it hurts me to see kind of that shark tank that it's become. And there are legitimate yeah. things out there. Uh, here's what we can work on too. I love getting to plug Brent stuff because I know it's legit. I know that Kingdom Songs, Song Assist stuff is legit. Let's let's work on Young Pup getting some other resources up on our, yeah. like our Facebook page for people to check out as well. Maybe we make a list of, of all of these. That's a yeah. great question. And uh, mm-hmm. it is it is frustrating, I know, for 
the, that songwriter listening to this podcast from, you know, the backside of nowhere right now that doesn't seem to have any outlet to of feedback. That's frustrating. So let's, let's help maybe try to build a list of that. One other thing mm-hmm. in that regard, how do you get good critique? Well, short of getting a hold of somebody who's more at a pro level who can give you some feedback outside of your mother, you probably do have a friend group. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I gotta be honest with you. One of the best, I mean, I generally as a worship leader for all these years, I, I've loved the church first and foremost, and I've written songs for the church, but the church was also my testing ground. Mm, like I stood up Sunday after Sunday and I led songs for the people and I'd write one on Thursday. I'd introduce it on Sunday morning and you can tell real quick if it's going to work or not. I mean, real fast. Mm-hmm. And so as best you can, maybe in your, you know, in your context, find that coffee shop. You know, if you, if you can play and sing it all yourself as a, as an artist at all, find a coffee shop, find a group of friends around a campfire and throw it out there for eight or 10 people, 20 or 30 people and start getting some real feedback from even an audience. That's the best marker for changing songs I've ever had along the way. And that that's kind of, you know, across any genre, right? Mm-hmm. So find, find a live audience. They'll tell you real fast, you know, if that's something yeah, you can do. I, I think that's a great point. You know, I'm not a performing songwriter, but I've noticed too that like when I go play for, an A&R person or back in the day playing for publisher or whatever it was, just me sitting there across from somebody changes how I hear my song. You know, it's just been, I've, mm. me and my co-writers have been the only ones to hear it. We think it's all awesome. And then you, you sit across from somebody and you're, and you're hoping to knock their socks off. All of a sudden that little thing in that second verse that you're like, yeah, it's fine. It's good enough. <laughs> all of a sudden gets a lot bigger and uglier oh, yeah. when you're sitting across from, from somebody. It kind of recalibrates you and makes your, your trigger a lot more sensitive. I'm going, oh, okay, I really don't like that after nope. all. I thought it was fine. It's not fine. I'm sitting yeah. there. And, oh, okay. So, yeah, just the mere act of that, you may not get specific feedback from your audience on like, oh, that second verse kind of fell apart, lost the energy. But if they're not reacting like you would hope they are, at least you know something's not right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, and, and I want to add, too, just because of things that I've heard uh, you know, us talk about too, when we're talking about song critiques, uh, the thing that I have heard the most is you've got to go. I think some people are hoping that kind of what you're talking about, Brent, of when they're pitching that song for quote unquote critique, they're hoping that it's going to be the, the song and then mm-hmm. it gets ripped up and <laughs> yeah. you spiral into this, you know, tailspin of, should I even be doing this kind of thing? But, mm-hmm. but the advice that, that I have Got two two great things uh, from from Michael. Even just being around him, uh, my favorite dare to suck. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Yep. But then also hold those songs with open hands. Yeah, hold loosely. them loosely, yeah. loosely. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in a sense of, um, you know, when you're putting them in for critiques, be okay if somebody says, "Hey, man, you know, I'm not. It's not hitting me the right way." Or and they're gonna and they're going right. Mm-hmm. And not every yeah. song is is gonna be the the hit but you know i that's that's where i love the accountability that comes with finding two or three people that you trust yeah if you want yeah. hit affirmation don't get a song critique <laughs> if you want right. real song critique that's good that's good yeah. tanny that's really good if you want real real critique that helps you uh grow as a songwriter then be prepared to we always call it uh pull it feels like somebody's Yanking the toes off of your baby, you know, it's like, gosh, it's like, it's, like, it's precious to wow, me. It's so, the worst, be prepared, be prepared to have your song uh, annihilated sometimes mm. and start over from scratch. So, great yeah, question. And the thing is, man, nobody is going to believe in your song until they do. 
Like yeah. every song probably that has been cut on Music Row, unless it was written like very inside with the artist and didn't have to get pitched around. I mean, yeah, I had a top five country hit with Monday Morning Church by Alan Jackson and nobody wanted it. I came to town <laughs> with that song. I played it for as many people I could, as I could get it to, which wasn't many, like publishers and stuff. Everybody passed until somebody didn't. Yep. That's well, good. that's and good, well. Welcome to it. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. a great segue because I was just gonna go there with you. And in today's podcast, we we're gonna kind of hone in on this whole. Um, I, I think this started with you and I just having a conversation, if I remember correctly, about genres and when mm-hmm. to, when to when is it appropriate to maybe kick out of those genres. And so uh, we're going to kind of get into that a little bit and a little bit of indie publishing. Uh, thanks again for being willing to do this, Brent. Mm-hmm. I know we're sucking up a lot Heck of yeah. your time this morning, but uh, so officially diving into our full on uh, topic of the day. Um, yeah, the world I come from, uh, very CCM, very worship, Brent, your world being mm-hmm. very, uh, some CCM, you, you've done that as well, mm-hmm. uh, but predominantly country, uh, Channing swimming and all of that stuff along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the discussion today really starts from this place of, at least from the CCM side, it can get really frustrating on some days uh, with the parameters of the boxes that make up writing CCM or worship music, or so it seems. If I hear once in a week, I hear a hundred times a week how cliche modern worship music is. And we just say the same things over and over and over and over again. And the Christian radio plays the same thing over and over and over and over again. And when are we going to write something different? And you've got a young generation coming up. We're going to, we're going to do it different. And no, they're not. Cause in order to, in order to make it, they're going to do it like everybody else is doing it. And I'm going to assume it's a lot like that probably on the countryside as well. Oh no, we have no country cliches. No one ever <laughs> says that it's about girls getting in trucks and boys driving down back roads. It's yeah. never, never yeah. a thing. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that yeah. one. <laughs> I've so, heard that. Yeah, it's so, a great song. They keep releasing it. So, yeah. So, so the, you know, you get you get this question then that that arises out of the angst of creatives who so long in their hearts to be different and unique and special. And mm-hmm. if you're an Enneagram person, you're dying. If you're a four, you know, it's like, I happen, I happen to be a four. And if you've never done the Enneagram, do it. It's fascinating. Yep. I am that original four. Everything's got to be super authentic. And I live in a genre that says, nope, you're going to say the exact same <laughs> things over and over. And today, maybe we get to dissect uh, is is there an appropriate time to become genre busters? And if so, uh, what does that look like? And, and maybe the better way to set this up, if I look back historically, because again, you called me the grizzled vet, um, I can look back and Brent, you and I are roughly the same age. I think I got you by mm-hmm. a couple of years, but I can look Both back over roughly. The, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I like, so I can look back over the last 25 years that I've been cog- really cognizant of music styles, transitions, and the way genres have shifted. And um, it does seem like along the way uh, there, there can, it's almost, it, at least from where I stand, any kind of significant change in a genre has been precipi- precipitated by a genre bending artist. 
if that makes any sense. There, there was that mm -hmm. artist that came along in CCM that changed the face of it. You know, I could name the CCM sides. You know, I remember when this guy named Carmen hit the scene and all mm -hmm. of a sudden CCM music went to really crazy places it had never been before, but everybody bought it and everybody showed up for all those Carmen concerts. And that even before that was Petra. Nobody had ever done anything like Petra had done before. And, you know, it's like, and then all of a sudden comes the Rebecca St. James and then, all, you know, the DC talk and there, there's all these genre busting, you know, things along the way. Well, we're talking to songwriters, you know, it's like in your experience or you're looking at history, Brent, would you say that there's ever been a genre of serious a genre shift in language or style, but probably specifically a lot in language, you know, mm -hmm. Or is that just, it just is what it is. It's dogs, trucks, it's, con it's country music, it's, it's worship, it's lift your hands and praise the Lord, it's CCM. What do you, what is your take on this, the angst we feel of wanting to break out of genres and is it even possible? Well, I think it's really hard as a songwriter because you, you're mentioning artists. And so, you know, in, I would think in any genre, maybe if you're a songwriter this closely in the camp of an artist and you can be part of that, that change, you know, really part of the artist camp. So you think about like Don Williams and Bob McDill, you know, who who is a primary writer for Don Williams. So stuff like Good Old Boys Like Me, I Believe in Love, stuff that's kind of more literate and a little high, more highbrow, but still very accessible and kind of poetic. And so that was back in the what, 70s, I yeah, guess, yeah. 80s. Um, you know, so Don or Bob McDill was just a writer, but he was able to kind of find the artist that was like, yeah, I get that and I want to do that. And so we kind of put on that writer stuff as their, you know, part of their wardrobe in a way. But just as a writer, it's tough. I think when it comes to that, um, you kind of, you know, I've heard it said, do what you do. Then you hope that the, you know, the spotlight kind of eventually shines over to your stack of stuff. That's good. And then okay. that becomes kind of the, the flavor because on one hand, there's no use importing sand to the beach. You know, if because I have people come to me and go, oh, this just sounds like, you know, what, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe what the uh, Peach Pickers were doing. You know, those this group of writers, Red Aikens, Dallas Davidson, and Ben Hayslip, were getting all these cuts, all these country things. And it was kind of similar. They were doing a thing. They had a thing. Um, and so other people kind of gravitate and start doing that. But I'm like, you know, if you're outside the system, if it's even close, you're going to go with Dallas Davidson's song. Because he has the connections. He has a head start, basically. You know, he's trying to get to home base, but he's standing on third, whereas you're still holding the bat. Yeah. And so it makes it a lot harder to to beat what they're doing with what they're doing. And so in a sense, it's like, yeah, it's good to be able to do that, to know that kind of, hey, this is where the commercial winds are blowing right now. But I don't know if that's really going to get you ahead. Like what got them there isn't necessarily going to get you there. So, that, I mean, that's my theory on that because it is, it, it's always, it's a moving target. So it's more like, hey, do, kind of do what you do. Try to bring your flavor and be more unique. So at least it gives them a reason to say yes to you. Also gives them lots of reasons to say no to you. Yeah. But if I'm writing the same songs that, the, you know, right now that like Shane McAnally or Ashley Gorley are doing, and, but you can get that from Ashley Gorley in country, who's had like 40 number ones or something ridiculous. He's going to get it there first. Because he's right with the artist. He knows all the people. They're calling him. And so if I'm just doing the same thing, it's a safer bet, you know, for an A&R person. It's a safer bet for producers to go, well, we had an Ashley Gorley song. If it doesn't work, hey, I mean, we did everything we could instead of, hey, we went with this unknown guy or whatever, this guy that didn't have the track record. Yep. So, so part of it's kind of 
protection racket in a, in a way I think it's a little bit of a safer bet, you know, but yeah, I think that's kinda, a, that's you got to try and bring your own thing. Yeah. That's a great analogy. You, you're, you're still holding the bat trying to mimic the guy who's already created that sound and style or mm-hmm. lyric or flow. And he's on third base all the time. Now, that's a great, that's a great yeah. analogy. And he's earned it. You yeah, know, absolutely. I mean, I don't begrudge them. That's like, yeah. they've, they've gone, they've run all the bases. That's why they get a start on third now. Yeah. Yeah. What is what does that ring in your head, Channing? As you hear that as the, uh, I I just immediately started thinking though, in the sense of where we're at with streaming and things like that, mm-hmm. when it comes to the ability to put music out compared to even twenty years ago uh, for writers and stuff, uh, I'm just I'm wondering if there's a little bit more freedom to push the bounds of genre, yeah, just mm-hmm. because of streaming there will be an audience we have access point. to an audience you know and and that's where i i look I'm, i mean i'm a big singer songwriter i think people have can find that just from my ooh. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard yeah. minus deaf leopard yeah minus that little one <laughs> but you know like that's that's the stuff that i'm drawn to and so a lot of those guys aren't aren't getting cuts and a lot of those guys aren't you know are or are, are producing it themselves and putting it out just because that's it's something that they enjoy. You know, I, I think in the in the CCM side, I think somebody like Andrew Peterson, who is a label guy, but I don't know if where Centricity's at, like with the stuff that they put out, you know, I don't know if Andrew Peterson is 100% that, but he is my favorite. Yeah. He, you know, like phenomenal, probably one of my all-time favorite writers. Um but I, I th- those are the kind of things that I think are interesting to see, even with with somebody like that dynamic. Of Andrew's been there, pumping record after record for a lot of years, mm-hmm. but the label is not necessarily putting out that same. Does that make sense? Am I making yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I've I, I've just wondered even now for for writers that you just write. <laughs> Just write. Just make noise. So yeah. we, we actually say yeah. that a lot. We say make noise where you are. And, and be so, noisy and boisy, right? Yeah, be noisy and boisy. Love it. And so, you know, one of the one of the things that I've I've ran across uh, through the years, myself, my my struggle, and now I'm able to kind of crack this open for some people. Um, a lot of a lot of what makes worship music really resonate with an audience is and I always always uh I always liken it to magnets on a refrigerator. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and your mom has magnets all over the refrigerator. And I will confess that 12 or 13 year old boy given access to magnets on a refrigerator will invariably spell something he shouldn't <laughs> and blame, blame it on his brother and still get his butt beat. But uh, so I liken like even the last 20 years of, of worship music vocabulary. I, I call it, we've developed this lexicon of, of phrases and clauses that go to worship music, like, you know, praise the Lord or, holy or water or fire or mountains or valleys. And there's all this vernacular that's magnets on the refrigerator. And the English language is a very, uh, it's a very narrow language, right? You know, anybody outside of the English language looks like the English language and goes, huh? You know, we, we don't, there's not a lot going on in there. You can, there's, there's only so many things we can work with. So there's really just one way to say hallelujah. That's called hallelujah and holy is holy. And so how in the world do we take, you know, 15, 20, literally, if you take church history for a lot of those words, how do we take these sometimes ancient, but very much in our last 20 year vocabulary? 
vocabulary of, of worship words and phrases. How are we ever supposed to be original with that? And so maybe as an encouragement to some of the listeners uh, who struggle with this, I, here's what I have found through the years for myself and, and just kind of sharing and teaching it to others. It's okay to, we have those magnets. It's okay to work with those magnets, but, but what you put in between the magnets is where it gets really, really important. And so Mm -hmm. from, from a, from a worship side again, uh, and I will, you're going to speak to this Brent, but from a worship side, what has made probably the songs I've written for the church connect through the years quicker than maybe others, um, is that for and it's really just God and His kindness towards me. I've 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 learned through the years to make sure that the songs that I'm leading for the people that I'm tasked to to care for and to lead, that they hear my voice in those songs. And I, the greatest the greatest uh, kind of picture of this I've ever seen was with my daughter, Madison. I've told the story a lot. My oldest daughter, Madison, she was about 19 or 20 at the time, but we were, she was always trying to write worship music and she would always crumble up the paper and she'd wad it up. She'd throw it in the floor and she and I'd be like, what are you doing? That was really great. She's like, no, it's cliche. It all sounds like everything else. It just sounds like everything else we're doing. It says the same thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I was so frustrated with her because she's a great writer and she'd just crumble it up, throw it on the floor. And then one day we were standing in a circle uh, about to pray before we walked out uh, on stage at our church to do something. And to this day, I don't even remember what the event was. I, if I think back on it, I think it was like this, it was a night where it was just like an off night at the church. It was like a Thursday night special prayer meeting or something. We were going to do some worship or whatever. But before we walked out, uh, the pastor said, well, let's pray. And a few of us prayed. And then my daughter, Madison, she prays. And she's always had this unique uh, language thing with God. It's like, she just talks to Jesus like he's standing there. And she's like, Jesus... Thank you so much for, you know, being with us right now. And I just pray right now that you would be unavoidable in this room tonight. God, I just pray that you would be unavoidable in the room. Well, as soon as she prayed that my pastor like heaved and got very emotional and everybody in the circle just felt the weight of what she had just said settle because that's what Mm -hmm. she had been praying a lot for our church. She would have just used her vernacular in between the, the, the magnets Man, it would have resonated deeply with people. So it's not that probably any of us are going to bust open a new genre of of worship music or cause it to take some huge right angle turn. And I think that we're just going to learn as songwriters how to be ourselves and actually mm-hmm. say the things that people actually know that we would actually say that, you know, it's like right. you, and I would assume in country, you've got country music is dogs, trucks and Hey, oh, and, yeah. and it's so mm-hmm. what makes it different all of a sudden, you know, from a writer's yeah, perspective, I tell people it's, we can get to writing on autopilot. You know, I make the joke that one time I, I blacked out in the co-write because, you know, we were talking about, you know, as soon as a girl got in the truck, I don't remember what happened until the second verse ended or whatever. It's like, what happened? Oh, I think I just put a bunch of cliche stuff in there. I went on autopilot. It's like, I, <laughs> what happens next in country songs? Well, this happens in country songs and that happens and then that happens. And it's easy to kind of start thinking, what does a song say here? Instead of going, no, what's, what's real? Like, what's the next most honest thing I can say? Honest. Like the real thing I can say. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to be aware of, when those, yeah, those magnets come in, but go, if you're going to have them go, am I going to do that on purpose? Or am I, cause some cliches are great for, they're like a shorthand. They can re- share a bunch of information with the listener in a very few words because it's common knowledge. So it's a great shorthand. So it's a tool that you can use, 
but it's not the tool for every occasion. So you do want to examine those and go, each one is there on purpose for a reason. But also I think just what, don't say it just because that's what country songs say or worship songs say. Is that true? Is that my experience? Is that honest? Is there, is my actual memory of, you know, these situations different? Does a girl always have her feet up on the dash? No, my wife's like, you know, Paul. That's dangerous. <laughs> so, There's an no in her face. Cram your knees through your face. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> you know, she would sit a different way. Okay, if we're on a road trip, she's probably hugging up on the pillow, trying to catch a nap. That's a lot more believable because it's different. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about being on this road trip with the girl, what if she's, yeah, got her pillow and she's, you know, sitting cross-legged or one leg tucked up under the other and like there are more real things. Why does it always feed on the desk? Well, that's because that's what country songs say. Yeah, but is that your experience? Is there something else that's true and believable and a different visual that you can put in there instead? That's great. So I encourage people for that stuff. And um, There's going to be an influx songs, of songs now with pillows yeah. and yes. Pillows, yes. And I'll be like, I told them to write that. About you. And she'd be like, that's creepy. She's an introvert. She hides me. But I also think of Travis Meadows, you know, talking about doing what you do and putting out re- records. Travis Meadows is a hit country songwriter, also a an independent artist. He, he was putting out his own records, and they end up being bus records, which is the albums that are so cool, artists are listening to them on the bus. Yep. And he started getting cuts off his albums, and people wanted to write with him to do what he does. Now, not that it's easy to get your records on a bus, but he was doing what he did. And it was just so cool and so compelling that people like, I just want to listen to it. Then they find one. Oh, I can cut that one. And then it opens the floodgates for them. Yeah, that's great. Well, let, let me ask this. And this just in my, as I'm sitting here listening to this too, a couple things. And one specifically to, to Michael for worship side of, because that's what you've dabbled in a lot uh, in your life. But do you think, do you think the responsibility in writing for worship is to bend the genre or just be faithful to oh, you've answered your own question. Yeah, that, I mean, it's like, you know, I've, I've, I've wondered if there's, there's been a, or even for me too, of, of in that same kind of battle. Yeah. The you angst know, of it. Of trying to, Oh man, if this one could get to the masses, you know, <laughs> and I've totally missed my responsibility as a worship leader. Yeah. If, if bending a genre or creating a new sound is more important to you than hearing 300 people or 30 people sing, then you're way off base already anyway. Right. right. And I think, I think the tr- and in, that's kind of going to have to be true in any genre. Who are you most honestly trying to serve? Right. Like, right. You know, it's you know, Brent saying, just be honest. And that's, there's, that's the second thing that I was going to, uh, I think it just needs to be highlighted again and again and again and again of when you look at history, I think of the people who bended genres weren't asking the question, how do I do it? They were just writing. Being honest. Honest. Mm -hmm. So I'll give away a secret here. I, I, so I just, I think over the years I've developed a, a, a knack. Yes, I'm a songwriter, but I have artists and other writers walk in my room all the time when we're tasked to write a song, right? And I think more than, I mean, I hope I'm a good songwriter. I think I am, but I'm probably a better question asker. <laughs> I'm a better question yeah, asker. We good. would call it, I'm a good listener probably because mm-hmm. we've talked about that a lot on here too. But I, I 
kind of have a knack. I've developed a knack through the years of just letting an artist talk. And I have, I'm very quick to pick up on the most honest thing they just said. And when I sing back that most honest thing they just said in their vernacular, probably pretty much the way that just fell out of their mouth, you can just see the light bulbs come on in their eyeballs. It's like, what? And I tell them, you're spitting out lyrics all the time and you don't realize it. I think I've just developed this knack for the most honest thing that somebody can say. It's good. And so, you know, I, I love the way you put it, Brent. It just, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your real view of said scenario that, you know, I, what's mm-hmm. the different fresh way to say that. So God, I hope this helps somebody. You're not going to go busting. I think I can sum it up with this. We're not going to go busting genres per se. That's, you know, it's going to be a bit impossible, but you, you can give a true honest telling that is compelling. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, that's what people relate to. I, you know, I think that's, yeah. I think that's the, I've heard you say it. We've said it multiple times of people are asking you to sing their song. And I think it's the thing of, <laughs> I know there are 10 others that are probably saying the same thing that's going on in my heart, you know, when I'm writing worship for the church or, uh, or that would connect with the one leg under the other with a pillow. Like, you know, that's, that's what they want to connect to. Guess what? We're both writing when this podcast is over, Brent, we're going to write songs about summer driving with our sweethearts <laughs> hugging a pillow in the passenger seat. There we go. I love it. <laughs> I want to, sh- I want to shift this just a little bit. Um, cause I know you have some great insight. Um, this, uh, last, well, episode before last, we have multiple episodes. It's so fun. Now I have to actually I think back the numbers now. So, Oh, ep- it's so cute. Uh, you uh, with your six episodes. We're, six. we're mostly viral. We're not, at this point. We, are, we are not, we are not the climb, but by golly, uh, episode four, we had the curb riders who graciously came in and sat with us around that the table. Fun. They were so insightful and you ask them hard questions like, what, what is a pro publisher looking for? And all those kind of great questions. <laughs> but we, in that, in that podcast, we talked a little bit about um, what it means to act like an indie publisher and kind of establish this, this fact of, look, if you don't have a publisher, you are your publisher. And Brent, you and I have both been in and out of deals through the years. Mm-hmm. We've, we've had publishers. We've been indie publishers. We've Lord, I just came out of, you know, a, a five month uh, window of my own where I, you know, I'm just five months indie. I still had to act like my own publisher before I resign, mm-hmm. you know, before I signed back at curb or whatever. And so I want us to, to, to spend a few minutes uh, just kind of breaking open a little more deeply and maybe give some more tangible handles of, Okay, you, Michael, you're telling me that I don't have a commercial publisher, but I am a publisher. What the heck does that even mean? What can I even do that remotely looks like what a pro publisher does? You know, I, I threw out a few little things in that podcast, but I want us to dive into that a little more deeply. And I know you speak to that indie pub thing quite a bit, so just mm-hmm. di- just dive in with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally true. And I listened to that episode, by the way, because I'm a listener. Mm. Uh, whoop, whoop. Thank you. Yes. Uh, listener, first time guest. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, for call, thanks for calling. <laughs> Thank, yes. <laughs> um, so that I was really glad to hear you say that because that's something I harp on too. Is like, yeah, you are your own publisher. Like, how do you publish your song? I'm like, write it down or sing it into something. Congratulations, you just published your first song. Your publisher may suck and not be good at business, but congratulations, you just published your first song. Um, and so. If you're, again, it, it comes back to your goals, right? It, do you want to make this a commercial endeavor, you know, meaning a business, right? Yeah. It's a music business. If you want to do that, then 
you need to start acting like a publisher in certain regards, meaning what, what do publishers do? They, they keep up with, you know, the admin stuff, which means, man, if, if I put out songs, am I with a PRO? Am I with an ASCAP, CSAC, or BMI in the U.S.? Or am I with, you know, SOCAN in Canada or APRA in, in Australia or wherever your territory might be? Have I joined a PRO? I was, my first cut happened, so I'd been in Nashville for two years. I wrote this song, Monday Morning Church, back in Arkansas with another Archie, Aaron Enderlin. And she took it back to Nashville. I moved shortly thereafter, but I didn't do it a bit of good after I got to Nashville. It was all on her end. But it got cut. But thankfully, I'd already set up my PRO. I'd set up my own publishing company through ASCAP, and which is basically like fill out a form, find a name that's not already taken. And it was like my third or fourth choice. You're probably not going to get your first choice of your publishing company name. That's going to sting a little bit. Unless and, you're just uh, really weird. Unless you're just really weird. Yes, Exactly. And which you probably would as a four, Mike, you probably got your first choice. <laughs> I've always you worked really choice. hard at it. Yep. Um, and so I already had that stuff set up, thankfully. So what publishers do is, you know, the, thankfully there's the big thing is the pitching, right? Because the other stuff you don't even need if, if your songs aren't getting out there. But I would look at joining the PRO, at least shopping around a little bit, talking to them. If you're going to take this seriously, they can be a good champion for you. So publishers join PROs. Publishers also pitch. And I have stuff that uh, I have like platforms. I use Songspace okay. for pitching my own songs. And that's just that songspace.com. It's not my product. It's not my deal. I, you know, I, I just use it. Uh, but before that, you know, a lot of people use Dropbox. I've used that. I use email folders and, and stuff so I can send stuff off through email to pitch um, online, you know, when I'm not in person with somebody. And that's something that's important. Publishers try to, I like the term, employ songs not exploit songs i heard that from uh, amanda williams <laughs> uh-huh. exploit you know employing your copyright versus exploiting your copyright that's I'm good like, that's a good way of putting I it. Like it they try to get cuts they try to get you in the room with an artist they try to get you in the room with other writers and they try to get songs on records and radio and are you thinking about that or is your end point just i want to try and get a publishing deal because these days, really, the best way to get a publishing deal is not to need one. Hmm. Yep. Is to go out and do the work yourself. That's good. And, man, I remember, because I wasn't doing a ton of that. I was mainly just, when I first hit Nashville, I was mainly just writing, trying to write songs, trying to meet with publishers and, and do that kind of stuff. And thankfully, Aaron, through Jeff Carlton, uh, who was working with her as a publisher, he got the song to Alan Jackson's people, and it got cut. And then it got a whole lot easier to get publishing meetings, by the way. Imagine that. After you have a cut where you own your publishing, again, easiest way to get a publishing deal is to not need one. Yeah. And so, um, by the end of that major Bob deal, which was my first publishing deal, I finally started getting out there and, and pitching my own stuff more. And here I had, you know, a top five song on the radio. So I had a lot of cred to get in some doors and I had a publishing deal. So I had some good, like a business card you know, to get in some doors. I just wasn't doing that too much the first couple of years. But that third year, I started knocking on some doors at some A&R people and some labels. And I'm really glad I did because that deal came to an end after three years. And I was back out on the street for a while. And I was really glad that I started making some some relationships with some A&R people and some labels so I could still keep pitching. And I wasn't totally dependent just upon a label to do that for me or my publisher to do that for me. Yeah, yeah. So 
that's one thing is build those relationships before you need them. And so you're not totally, and even if you have a publishing deal, I think you should still act like, you know, your own publisher to an extent. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was, I was at another publishing deal and like the last song I turned in was a really country thing. It was a silly song called crickets, a really country and just kind of funny. And they didn't know what to do with it. So they didn't want to do anything with it. They didn't want to demo it. My co-writers wanted to demo it. They didn't want to demo it. And it was the last song I turned in. I was like, dang it. You know, that's really frustrating because now it's like, it's theirs no matter what. And they don't want to do anything with it. So it feels like a dead song. Well, my co-writers, Bill White and Lisa Schaefer went ahead and guitar vocal it anyway. And we started pitching it around. And I pitched it to, to Benny Brown, who was the head of Broken Bow Records. And they put on hold and Joe Nichols cut it became the title track to his cricket album. <laughs> and my publisher was like, thank you. We'll take your money. Yeah. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> uh, cause that was a deal, but it's a good thing. I was practicing pitching cause that's, you know, that's a legit cut and I'm proud to have it. And Joe sings his butt off and it sounds great. And mm-hmm. it's out there and makes a little, you know, a little bit of money. And, um, but it's cause I was acting like my own publisher, not just going, well, okay, publisher didn't want to do anything with it, so I guess we're done. Um, so, man, most of my cuts, it almost seems like, have come when I've been in between deals. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. So, you know, Monday Morning Church happened before deal. Um, the Joe Nichols cut happened coming out of a deal. I pitched it while I was independent. I had a Ray Stevens cut that I pitched that I own the publishing on. And so it's it's important to do that. Yep. Noisy in Boise. What does that? What does this look like there when they don't have that? Mm-hmm. What when they don't have that? Um, that that flagship song that ever, that popped up out of nowhere, so to speak. I, you know, I would have had the "Let It Rain" thing. You know, it's like I wrote, mm-hmm. I wrote "Let It Rain" and all of a sudden, out of the blue, without any work on my part, you've got this Michael W. Smith, you know, huge worship album, and Nashville starts calling. Well, for that person again, just trying to be noisy in Boise. You know what is who do they pitch to? Because my suggestion, all, my, my suggestion, you know, on that podcast mm-hmm. was find some artists, find some local mm-hmm. artists, like pitch your songs to the the artist. No, you're not. You're not going to be able to pitch yeah. your worship stuff to Tomlin more than likely, and you're not going to be able to pitch right. your country stuff to Little Big Town. But your town has got to have some artists in it, and they mm-hmm. probably need to know you exist. Yeah, I mean, I think go to Reverb Nation. You know, they have the charts, the local charts, and everything. You can check out your area. And see who's go. around. That's one way to look it up. The other is just look in the uh, the entertainment guides or whatever who's playing around. Yep. And and hit them up. I think for sure. Um, you know, we had a thing. This guy wasn't local, but there's a guy that was a YouTuber and James Dupre. And somehow, you know, he he was good. And he was down in Louisiana. And he started working on an indie record. And somehow, one of my songs ended up on his project. I guess pitched through my co-writers publisher somehow. Cause he had like a, found a legit producer cause he was good. Like a couple months later, he ends up on Ellen. And a couple months after that, he ends up on, cause she just plucked him off of YouTube. Like this guy's really good. And then a couple months after that, he's on Warner brothers records. And I got a song on his project and we're like, Oh, hi. <laughs> you, know? you never good know. Thing I, That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I and so who's that around, <laughs> you know, your area who's, good and working hard and you know and go after that i can tell you i work i work with a lot of indie artists and any email they get that says hey we love what you do 
and we're a songwriter, they're going to read it. Trust me. Like, oh, heck it's, yeah. you're going to, you're going to easily build some relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're good hanging and you've got, you're writing some good stuff, artists are going to read your, you know, they're going to read your email or your info at their, you know, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, that's just a real legitimate opportunity laying in front of most songwriters. Oh yeah. And also co-writing. Like for me, Erin Enderlin, she was, I was living in Little Rock at the time and she's from Conway, which is, you know, 30 minutes from Little Rock. And, and I was working with some people that were in Little Rock trying to start up a publishing company and we were trying to play out a little bit. My, my buddy, Tim, um, he was kind of the, the vocal part of our writing team. And so just trying to work where we were, grow where we were planted. And so I heard about Erin Enderlin. She's from Conway and she's in, it's like a freshman at Belmont or something or not at Belmont, MPSU. And kept an eye out and saw that she was going to be playing some pizza place over spring break. And, you know, when she was back in Little Rock. And so I went out to see her and gave her, you know, the project that Tim and I had worked on. And she heard, heard us at one thing when she was back home or something, heard Tim. And so anyway, we just started writing together. And then she went back to MPSU and she's building relationships and, you know, we'd write together again over, and we actually wrote Monday morning church over that following Christmas break, and she took it back with her. And yeah. then she met Jeff Carlton, and he got it, you know, to Alan Jackson's people. And we had a, a top five hit. I could have still been sitting in that all tail cubicle, you know, in Little Rock, <laughs> back what I was doing when we wrote that song yeah. for all the good I did it. So I wrote with somebody that was local. Relationship. And that's re- the thing. Relationship, yeah. relationship, relationship, relationship. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So find those people, not, so not just artists, but also writers, because they may move or they may know somebody or they, it just gives you more chances to get heard. We, we, we harp on collaboration uh, so much in our world. It's like collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, I always talk about the like waxing a little bit spiritual. I always talk about the biblical math of collaboration. It's like, you know, the one puts a thousand to flight, two puts 10,000 to flight. So I can write a song and it'll affect my sphere of influence. You could write a song and affect your sphere of influence. But for mm-hmm. whatever odd reason, when we write something together, it, it affects 10 oh, spheres yeah. of influences. It's the weirdest math, you know, it's like, yeah. And so there's the collaboration, uh, building relationships, self-publishing is not rocket science. I mean, right. people listening to this podcast are going, well, yeah, that makes sense. We, because it's, it's songs. It's not rocket science here. And people really do want to hear great songs. They really do want to hear good music. So mm-hmm. what is this stirring in your head, Channing? Oh man. No, I, I love getting to just sit and listen to these <laughs> just because I'm, I'm soaking up just as much as well, anybody else. It's, it's been good. Well, um, Brent, you're a wealth of wisdom and thank you for just kind of sharing stories and, and pointing us in directions that really are tangibly good. Uh, when I know we've thrown out a couple of resources or more than a couple, we've thrown out a number of resources. We'll make sure it seems like every podcast you have homework, Channing. So yeah, yeah sorry about right. that. Sounds about right. Yeah. So we'll, <laughs> we'll make sure, you know, uh, song space and some of these other re- reverbs, some of these others, we'll make sure those go on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll have a list over there for you of things to check out in this whole idea of making noise where we are. Um, man, this has been a good one. So good. Yeah. Brent, thanks for, for taking like an hour, hour and a half out of your day. 
Hey, man, my kids are on spring break, and it's rainy, and we're trying not to go anywhere, so I can stay on for like five more if you, you know, want to keep me in my office and away from my children. I would uh, I'd be okay with that. I'm just saying. That's <laughs> No, it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Well, please, uh, you know, our listeners, make sure you check out Brent. You can find him at all things song, what, give, give all the credentials yes. shamelessly. Yes. Songwriting pro.com check it out go to songwritingpro.com we can get you to because we also have a podcast yep i co-host with johnny's one else called the climb and so i was i was teasing y'all earlier about this y'all have five episodes we're like i don't know 200 and somewhere in the yeah. 200s on our mainstream and probably 300 episodes total uh so we've been doing it for a while and uh so i'm glad i'm glad to see y'all in the podcast space because well. i think it's I, I think you're adding something valuable to it, so I enjoy listening. Uh, well, I'm listening to the climb, and I would say that we strive to be as charming yep. as you guys are. Same. So. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Same. <laughs> Everyone, thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Yep. And uh, stay virus free. Don't panic. May the and I mean this sincerely. May the peace of God rest on you. Absolutely. Be be smart, but I pray that you have rest and peace mm-hmm. through this crazy little season we're in That's right good. now. Blessings to you all. We'll see you next week. Yep. 